Well, welcome to Major League Rugby. My name is Pete Steinberg, and I am flying solo on today's episode. Um, Dan Power, I don't know what he's doing, um, just not able to join us tonight. Um, I told him I would say something mean, but I'm actually the bigger man, so I will not say anything mean about Dan. But don't worry, you will not need to listen to me for the next hour on my own. We have a slew of guests, all of which are stars in their own right in Major League Rugby because we have all of the award winners from the 2022 Major League Rugby season. COVID was getting in the way there. So all of the award winners in the 2022 Major League Rugby season, we're going to be traveling around the world. We'll have a little conversation about the um, crazy USA-Chile game that just happened. Crazy game in the water. Nuts. Um, that the US won, but only just, and also talk about the um, second leg that's coming up this weekend. Um, but let's jump in. So we're going to jump in and we're going to go in order. And I think pretty close to um, a unanimous choice for player of the year. Let's first listen to Bowden Wacker from the New England Free Jacks. Well, it's wonderful to welcome Bowden Wacker to Major League Rugby kickoff. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pete. It's a pleasure. Well, I mean, what a season. Like, a really, really remarkable season. Loved watching you play. Um, obviously, well-recognized. But before we go there, I always like, like to go back a little bit to the origin story. So talk to us a little bit what brought you to Major League Rugby three years ago. Yeah, like I said last time when I was speaking to you guys, um, it was a good old mate, um, Brad Tucker, who... Um, had a good yarn with when he was with the Seattle boys, still currently with the Seattle boys. Um, and it pretty much all started from there. Once I got to know a little bit about the, the league and the competition, um, it was it was just a no-brainer that I was um, signing on that dotted line and make my way um, over to the States and um, to play in the MLR. Now, when you first came over, you played, um, you really came over and started playing as a fullback for the Free Jacks, and then an injury opened up the fly-half position, and you've kind of taken it and not let go of it. Um, have you always considered consider yourself a, a first five, or or like where do you like? What do you say when someone asks you what's your position? Um, if you had asked me that last year, I would have said a utility back. Um, um, over the last three four years, I've been. Um, throwing around um, on the wing, fullback, 5'8", had a little stint at, uh, in the midfield at 12 in Australia. Um, but uh, going back to when I first started my professional rugby career, um, I was a 5'8", uh, and I played two seasons at 5'8", until I, I moved on and went into the, the seven scene with the All Black Sevens boys. And um, sort of after that, coming Coming and coming back from fifteens to sevens was um I was just it was chop and change position so that's how I um ended up being a fullback slash winger. And then and then this year so it sounds like this year you would say that you're a fly half. Uh, after the season I've had um yeah I'd call myself a fly half. I think I think um, I think you definitely call yourself a fly half. So let's let's talk about the the free jacks this year. I mean it's your third year with the team. Obviously, a very special team didn't finish the season the way you wanted to, but broke Major League Rugby records, had an amazing win streak, 
Talk to us a little bit about what was different about the Free Jacks this year than in the previous years. Um, I wouldn't say there was much difference to the, the teams from this year compared to last year and the year before because um, uh, the boys we had, we bonded real well. Our team culture was really good. Um, I guess maybe our first year back in 2020 before COVID come about, um, we probably had inexperienced coaches um, and that's probably why we kind of struggled that year. I think we're one in, one in five um, until COVID come about. Um, and then last year, uh, we brought in some more experienced coaches, um, Ryan Martin and James Willicks, um, and who really put the team together. But this year was has to be the best year by far. Um, like you said, we, we broke records, made records, and um, obviously didn't finish where we wanted to finish. Um, but it was it was a season that we could be proud of, and you know when we look back at it, at the season we had, um, there was no doubt that it was by far the most enjoyable season. Now let's talk like like so you said you know when you look back so like twenty years from now when you look back at this year from playing for the Free Jacks, what are some of the moments that are going to stay with you? Some of the moments when like your kids ask you, "Hey, Daddy, did you ever play in America?" and you'll be like, "Oh yeah, let me tell you about this one time." Um, yeah, I guess for me it would probably be like playing against players I used to look up to. Um, you know, Andy Ellis and the New York side, it was an all-black, never ever got to play against them or play on the same side of them. So playing against them this year and last year was a pretty pretty good experience. Uh, and, and then I guess just the travelling around the United States, you know, going to different um, cities, uh, New York and Washington, all those big cities, LA, um, it was quite... Uh, entertaining and interesting to get out and experience the American culture. You know, coming from New Zealand, it's a real small cultured um, community over here. So it was, yeah, I would by, by far say that traveling around the States was, yeah, it was a pretty awesome experience. Obviously, New England's your favorite. What would be your second favorite place that you visited in the U.S.? Uh as much as I don't want to say this, it'll have to be the West Coast, um, LA, <laughs> just because of the weather. <laughs> yeah, They've got some awesome weather there. And it, I don't think it ever gets cold there. So, no, um, I'll have to pick LA, but obviously I'm, I'll stay true to my Boston. I'll stick to the snow. <laughs> it's fine. There you go. Good for good for you. So let's 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 talk a little bit about your play as a fly half, and and I've been really interested to see how the team structures its play because. You're, you're an absolute impact player, but you, you actually have some of the fewest passes of any fly half in the league. It looks like you, you um, in the free jack strategy and tactics, you really look to get, get your forwards to give you that go forward. And, and you look to use the ball when you can absolutely use it. Can you talk a little bit about how the game plan seemed to fit you perfectly as a player? Yeah, um, I was on the phone quite a bit with um, Scott Matthew. Um, prior to the season starting, and um, we had a good, good old chat about um, what kind of structure um, we wanted to play for the season, and it fitted, it f- uh, fitted real perfect with the way I wanted to play as well. Um, I, I like to pride myself on my kicking game, and that's exactly what Scotty wanted. So, yeah, I, I guess it goes back to when I had that conversation with Scotty, and like you said, our forwards gave us good front football. And whenever they're giving us good front football, it, it, it makes players like myself or players outside of me um, 
shining, you know, then we end up scoring those tries and looking like the hero when really it was done up front. And you, uh, um, you know, you found yourself obviously playing behind, like you said, a, a good pack um, and talk a little bit about um, your relationship with your halfback Poland, um, John Poland, right? So nines and tens being so close. Um, and you guys, you guys were able, I mean, you were, you were injured for a couple of games, but you guys seem to really have a good chemistry about how you play. Talk about how that, how that's important, particularly for a fly half. We just got to look at um, all the other international teams, the likes of uh, the All Blacks. You got Aaron Smith and Dan Carter, who had one of the best chemistries in the competition. You had got Australia. You got um, uh, Quade Cooper and Will Guinea and. And and so on. Other teams all got their connections with their nine ten, and I think it's really important if you got that connection, you two can bounce off each other, feed off each other, and um, then everything just starts to um, flow in the right direction. And yeah, I've been of JP, um, aka Little Cutie, for three year, three seasons now. We both started together, um, and I think every year we've just we've bonded real well. Uh, we've lived together two out of the three years. Um, so, you know, we do everything together pretty much. Go out for a coffee, um, go and get dinner. We're cooking together, um, playing cards together. So, you know, we, like you said, that chemistry between nine and ten, that's what um, JP and I had. Yeah, I think it's it's really obvious that you guys complement each other really, really well and uh, that, that that nine connection playing behind a pack that goes forward, like you said, it, it you know it makes it a little bit easy for the fly half. But obviously, you've got a huge amount of talent. Um, your kicking game, your running game, your ability to manage the game was obviously key, and it's opened up some doors for you beyond Major League Rugby. So, talk a little bit about how this next opportunity has opened up for you and where you're going to be going. Yeah, I was quite surprised um, when I first um, had been told about this opportunity. Um, and it's been a number of years since I've been trying to get into this country um, to play the, to play uh, footy. Um, and when this opportunity came about and after the, our final game against New York, I was on the phone to my agent uh, quite a few times that night. We were just trying to get things sorted and and then, yeah, the next morning he just rang me up and said, hey, mate, um, I've got you a contract in Japan. Um, Kobe Steelers are interested in having you for a season. Um, and I was pretty over the moon. I, I couldn't believe it at start because it's taken me four or five years to actually try and get into Japan because obviously I'm a cat player. I played for my country, so it's kind of hard to get into that Japan one league. Uh, so yeah, I was pretty stoked with, with all of that. And I think I was on the... I was talking to TK. I was on the on the phone to him, and I was like, "Come on, man! I need to get on the first flight out in America. I need to quickly go and spend time with my family because uh, it all happened just so quick, and I couldn't believe it." And talking on Zoom with the coaches and the manager, um, they were like, "Yeah, mate, we're interested and we're keen and very happy to have you on board, but we need you into the country straight away. So as soon as you can get back into New Zealand, let's start this visa process and let's try and get you into Japan." in the next couple of weeks. So it's all in process right now with the visa and everything. So hopefully it comes in sometime this week and I'll probably be on a plane sometime next week. That's great. And, and um, I, like going back to the start of our conversation, Bowden, did they want you as a fly half? Um, 
I saw them name me in the um, on the Instagram, and it, they had three positions. It was a fly half, I think it was centre, and an outside back. So I think they they've got me covering a lot of positions. <laughs> well, and and for the um, major league rugby fans that don't know, Japan's very very strong league. Um, Kobe Steel has a great tradition in rugby. It's a really really good standard, and it's great to see players like yourself, um, yourself, Bowden come to Major League Rugby, be in the shop window and, um, and, and have an opportunity to go to somewhere like, like Japan. So, so congratulations to you. So before we let you go, I have, I have two questions. So, you know, heading off, to, heading off to Japan, number one, what are you going to miss about Boston? And what are you not going to miss about Boston? Well, I already know what I'm not going to miss, and that's the snow. But I think it actually snows in <laughs> Japan as well. So <laughs> I'm just hoping in Kobe um, during the winter time. Um, I hope yeah, it's it's pretty it's kind for me. Cause, it's, uh, it, it is. It, it is. I mean, I I think the issue in Boston is not that it snows; it's that it snows and it's so cold that the snow just stays there for months, right? <laughs> like like so. I live in Colorado, and it snows, but then it melts. But in Boston, oh, it snows, yeah. and then like three months later, the same snow is still the, still there. It's just like snowy and cold. Yeah. So hopefully you won't get back, that in Japan. Yeah, I was thinking back uh, when I first went to Boston, and because everything all kicked off a little bit later, you know, the snow didn't stick around for it as much. But this season had to be by far the worst time um, over that um, winter period in Boston. Where the like you said, the snow it came down and it just stuck and stuck and stuck. I remember talking to a few flatmates um, and we we're talking about getting mopeds, little scooters to get around to trainings, <laughs> but we didn't get around to it because the snow just kept hanging around. And it by the time the season was finished, it started warming up. So yeah, we didn't really get to to achieve that those moped goals. Um, but so, one thing, I'll, yeah, yeah, that, one thing, one thing, one thing that you're gonna miss. One thing I'm going to miss, and I guess everyone always normally says it, it was just that, that core group of boys. Um, but we, we interacted with each other um, pretty well throughout that whole season. I don't think anyone had any beef with each other. Um, we always got out and about to, you know, whether it went for breakfast with the whole team or whether you know, they just went out for a couple of beers with the team. Um, but, yeah, I think our team culture this year by far has been the best out of the three years that I've been a part of. Well, that's, um, that's great to hear. And I think that it's one of those things that culture equals performance. And I think the work that you guys um, did with the free jacks to create a culture like that has really led to performance. And I'm just, you know, I know, you know, TK is listening. So I will just say this, there is some history in, in MLR Bowden of people going from Japan finishing the season and coming to finish the MLR season. So just laying that out there, that, 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 that has happened a few times. So the seasons overlap some, but not, but not the whole way. So from, from all of us in major league rugby, thank you so much for what you've done in the three years that you've been here. You've really um, provided some, you know, phenomenal memories, not just for the free Jacks fans, but, but for the major league rugby fans and really set a standard this year for fly half play that I think will be tough for anyone to beat next year. So good luck in Japan and thank you. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate your guys' time. Thanks for having me. 
Sad for the league that Bowden is leaving for Japan, but happy for him, obviously, has been something that he has been looking to, um, looking to do for a while. And it's great that um, MLR is a bit of a shop window for him. Um, exciting, exciting time to Bowden um, and some challenges to replace that that sort of talent. So let's go, let's head down the East Coast and we'll, we'll move into the rivalry space um, because the forward of the year is Brendan O'Connor from Rugby New York. So let's uh, see what Brendan had to say. Well, it's, we're excited to welcome Brendan O'Connor, excuse me, MLR Forward of the Year. Welcome to MLR Kickoff. Oh, thank you. It's good to be uh, involved in this. Now, um, we were just commenting on your great background. Can you tell us where you are? Yeah, I'm actually uh, down in the children's playroom at my apartment. Um, just got a little one-year-old boy who's who's fast asleep, so can't risk wake, waking him up. <laughs> no, is, is he a good sleeper? Yeah, he's been sleeping good now. It took a while um, when we first moved over here. He, was, he would have been six months old, so um, pretty rough times with the change in time zones and stuff, but now he's in a good routine now. Well, let's let's talk about that journey um, to the US. You know, you're a very experienced elite player. You've played high-level rugby in the UK and in New Zealand. Like, tell us about like the, how the opportunity of playing in MLR popped up and, and why you made the, why you decided to make that move. Yeah, I was um, I was in New Zealand. I was involved with the uh, the Crusaders at the time. Um, <clears throat> also playing uh, for Hawks Bay and Mighty Ten Cup and. Uh, didn't really didn't really know too much about the MLR and sort of had talked to friends about it and I'd only heard good things. Um, and I was I was around at a a friend's place, Scott Hanson, who who coaches the Crusaders, and uh, we were around there one night and Andy Ellis was around there. And yeah, I was just talking to him about New York and it sort of just got the idea jogging in my or going in my head and end up throwing Andy a text a couple of days later, just saying, "Hey, I'm looking for something for next year." If, if you guys are in the market for a loose forward, let me know. And then sort of one thing led to another. And next thing I was on the phone having a chat to Rick and, and the wheels were in motion. I mean, it's interesting, like now with hindsight, you see Andy Ellis retiring as a yeah. champion in Major League Rugby. But I wonder how many of those phone calls he made because there were a lot of All Blacks and New Zealand players that ended up on the New York team. It's interesting. I think Andy was helping... Um, <laughs> Like Steve Lewis and, and the and the staff in New York recruit those players. That's uh, so it's a bit of a great story. So so you come over, you come over with um, your family and a young kid. Um, talk about what was most surprising when you first came to the states. And let's talk about non rugby to start off. With. Like when you came over here, what was it that was like the biggest shock for you? Uh, to be honest, I've, this was the first time we'd uh, we'd come to the states. Um, first time to New York, obviously, and. The biggest shock was the weather. So back in New Zealand, it was just kind of summer and then come over here and it's, you know, it's snowing every second day or whatever and it's it was absolutely freezing. So I've never been involved in a rugby team where um, rugby or training was cancelled because it was too cold. So, um, yeah, the weather was a shock. You know, we'd go outside in shorts and a hoodie thinking we'll be fine, but it'll be absolutely freezing. So, um that took a bit of adjusting, but so far I just love the city. Like we're in Hoboken, 
like I was saying, it's great for young families and it's still a 15-minute train ride across into the city and um, we're sort of just making the most of our time here because um, we don't know how long we'll be here for. That's great. And, and you know, well, I want to talk a little bit more about, like, your life in New York and, and what you and your family do, but but I, I want to continue on your journey. So you arrive, it's really cold, and then you have to yep. start playing rugby. And, you know, um, interesting in the States, right? Because people often feel like, you know, they look at traditional American sports and they look at the facilities and they're phenomenal, right? And they're college yep. programs, university programs that have those phenomenal facilities, but major league <laughs> rugby is a startup. So not necessarily those facilities, right? To talk a little bit when you came over, like what were you expecting? Was that something that Andy Ellis had prepared you for? Um, and maybe what was a bit of a shock? Uh, I had no idea what to expect, to be honest. Um, it was very unique though, because I finished playing Martin Cup in New Zealand, must have been end of October. And I didn't come here till mid-January, just sorting out visas with COVID and stuff. So I was pretty much just training by myself that whole period. And then I got over here and I had, I think I had three weeks until my first preseason game. And in my second week here, I got COVID. So I was out of action for, I think, two, 10 days or something. I missed the first preseason game. So I literally had like a week, two weeks before our first game against Houston. And um, still a bit dusty from COVID. And the coaches said they'll look after me, but Pungo, our number eight, got injured. I ended up having to play 80. So. That was, that was pretty challenging in itself. But, um, yeah, in terms of our facilities and that, like we're in a, I guess you call it an old warehouse that just sort of, you know, been made into a gym and some offices and we don't have showers or anything. But I think it's perfect. Like it's everything you need um, in terms of a training environment. It's not the most glamorous, as you said, in terms of other sports or rugby teams I've been in facilities and, you know, we walk across the road to um, Bear Lane Park, which is an artificial public field, and we sort of book that out and train on that. But it, it's everything you sort of need. Um, it would be nice to have a bit nicer place, but that's just being picky sort of thing. Well, you know, we, we, we get into the season, and New York does well. It wins, like, like you, you really start well. The, the games are close, but mm. then you have this game against – rugby ATL at home where I think there were some cards that, but they kind of blow you off the park. Um, Talk a little bit about what that game was like and what you guys learned from it that could allow you to like end up as champions. Yeah, that that was a tough game. I think it was like 34, 35 degrees Celsius for a start. So it was stinking hot. Um, I don't know if anyone really knew, but we had about five or six boys who were starting that game and they'd been crook all week. So, you know, I think four of our forward pack hadn't trained all week and were low on numbers, so they just had to turn up and play. Charlie Hewitt was, he was on the bench, our lock cover, and he wasn't supposed to play because he'd blown his shoulder out the week before and he's got to come on first 15 minutes because... Will Tucker gets red carded, who was sick, and then Nick Savetta goes off HIA or something. So it was sort of like the the perfect storm in terms of setting us up for a, for a bit of a hiding, and we got one. Um, 
But yeah, I, I guess in, in terms of the season, like it's, it was a pretty good wake up call and, you know, getting to play those guys in the playoffs as well as I think that game set us up well, sort of right. in the aspect that we, we couldn't just turn up there and win like we had a good win over them at the start of the year. But they're a very good side and it sort of just, you know, gave us the edge for that week that we needed to show up and put in a really good performance. Well, you know, let's talk about the other playoff game because one of the things you experienced this year was the rivalry between New York and New England, right? Yeah. And that's a deep-seated rivalry, <laughs> um, not just in Major League Rugby, but in all um, U.S. sports. And this was a team, I think, that beat you twice during the season and then you were able to beat them. So talk a little bit about, like, first of all, maybe the experience of, of, of a rivalry game, um, especially in such a, a league that had such like, you know, not a huge amount of history. And then also, what was the team's thinking going in to that Eastern um, Conference final? And, um, you know, the way you managed that game at the end, and I think that was like a like a textbook Andy Ellis, like, play in that game. Yeah. But talk a little bit about going into that game. Yeah, it's very, very um, unique having to play a team four times in, uh, in one season. Um like you said, they beat us the first two games at home. And I think in terms of all the games we played, like Boston, it was a very it was always gonna be a very physical game. Like they were very um very direct with their forwards. Um love to be very physical and getting your face sort of thing. And um we knew that there was a massive part of the game that we had to get right in turn in order to beat them or to challenge them. Um but yeah, I, I sat on the bench the third or the first game in Boston where we won, um, and that sort of gave us a belief after losing to them twice that we could come here and we could beat them because they've been having a great season so far. They're probably the favourites to win it all. Um, they had a great record, um, and that just yeah that set us up well for that for that playoff. You know, and then you and then you go to the final. Um, in Red Bull Arena where the real, yeah. like some real American quality um, uh, facilities, like beautiful stadium, um, and you come up against um, Seattle. Mm. Talk a little bit about what your, like, like, you know, Seattle from the other side of the country, a team that had won twice before in, in MLR history, but had, you know, literally like sneaked their way into the playoffs, uh, but looked to be playing really well. Talk a little bit, and maybe a little bit, um, Brendan, about their back row that was very, very yeah. good. And, and you know, like maybe some of the thinking that you guys had around in those back row matchups. Yeah, Red Bull um, Stadium was, you know, an awesome experience to play. There was such a nice um, ground and stadium. And I think we, we must have had close to 3,000 people, but they were very vocal. So that was, um, that was a pretty awesome experience to be a part of. Um, Going into the game, you know, they, they were a big physical side as well. They got some big boys in there. Um, I think there was some stat around like 70% of their tries came from set piece. So a big focus yep. for us was um, no easy penalties where they could kick to the corner or, um, yeah, just trying to limit their amount of set piece. So we knew if we could limit that, then they would limit their opportunities to score. Um so yeah, that was a big focus for us. And but going into it, a lot of it was was mainly just around around 
if we can get our own stuff sorted and our own stuff right, especially our defence. Um, throughout the season, our defence, like some games, would be really, really good and then other games would be pretty average. Um, so a lot of our build-up was around getting our, making sure we are going to put in a good defensive uh, display. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, your defense, it was interesting. We talked about um, Rugby ATL. I mean, I think New York and Rugby ATL the last couple of years have both had two of the um, best defenses um, defending very differently, but you guys um, definitely very, very strong. And then, you know, the final question about the season, you, you win, right? And, and you know, you've been a professional rugby player for a long time, but winning winning championships is actually rare, right? Very few people get to do yeah. it. So talk a little bit maybe about like winning for yourself. And then obviously there was that celebration for, for um, Andy Ellis for, for his last game. Yes. Um, it's, it's quite a funny feeling when you win a championship, like you're obviously very happy, but a lot of, uh, there's a little bit of relief in there. Like it's such a long season and, and so much work goes into it and so much effort by everyone in the squad and the management and the coaches. Um, so there's a lot of relief <clears throat> at the end of it. And also, you know, to be around people like um, Nate and Butch who have been there since day one and um, to see what it means to, to those sort of players. And, um, yeah, it's just all about being in the moment and just enjoying it. And I was just grateful to be a part of it and to sort of be able to add to it. Um, was your was your son there? Yep, he was, was. Son in the stadium. Him and my wife. Yeah, okay, yep. good. So um, they managed to uh, all the partners and family uh, managed to get down onto the field after the game. So that was uh, very special to have them on the field <clears throat> and be able to uh, enjoy and celebrate the moment with us, get some photos and whatnot. So uh, they'll be cool to look back on one day. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, I appreciate your time. I just have a couple of questions and I just want to know a little bit about your life in New York. So yep. like, do you have a, where's your favorite place to eat? Uh, don't, uh, if I had to pick a cafe in the city, um, there's a place called Banter. It's an Australian owned cafe. Um, <clears throat> very good coffee, very good food, but we try and get out and do a lot of different places. Um, it's a big city. There's a there's a heap of restaurants there. So, um, but that's a very good cafe. Um, and if you had a family member come over and visit for you, visit you for um, maybe a day, what's one thing that you've done in New York that you would like them to do? Jeez, that's tough. Um, me and my wife really enjoy just walking around West Village and Soho and Greenwich Village. Um, yeah. Very nice area, nice buildings, uh, nice cafes and bars and stuff. So that's really enjoyable. Um, I guess if if they could do anything, we uh, me and my wife just went for dinner up uh, Peak, so up the top of the Edge building, and uh, we went there just on sunset. So we got daylight and uh, at, and to see the city at night. Oh. So that was pretty um, very pretty nice. awesome experience. Now, now, are your teammates the babysitters when you go on that? Do you have any teammates that you would trust your one-year-old with? Uh, no, we had uh, one of the boys' partners, Ed, or Ed, uh, Ed Feeder, his partner, looked after our little boy once, but uh, we've got a babysitter now, so that's been a bit of a game-changer. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure. Well, um, Brendan, enjoy the rest of your time in New York. We 
we hope potentially to see you in Major League Rugby next year. Um, congratulations on being uh, an MLR champion uh, and enjoy the off season um, with your family. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Hopefully, Brendan did not wake up his one-year-old when he went back upstairs. And next up on our award list is back of the year, Billy Meeks, who must be coming in on a record for um, appearances in MLR kickoff. He is also the first um, two-time award winner, um, Billy Meeks from the LA Guiltini. Well, welcome, Billy Meeks, back of the year. Um, to MLR Cook Kickoff. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Now, um, tell the uh, viewers and listeners where you are right now, Billy. Jeez, uh, I'll try and give a bit of context, but I'm in a small country town called Mudgee in New South Wales, which uh, has a population of around 12,000 people. So uh, it's about four degrees right now, Celsius, so it's freezing. Um, and we've got a day off. So, yeah, I've just joined the Australian Sevens team again. Um, so, yeah, all guns blazing here in Mudgee. And, um, yeah, it's good to be back. Now, now, does the do the coaches take the team to Mudgee because you just can't get in trouble there? <laughs> well, I think there's more trouble in Mudgee than you can imagine. But, um, <laughs> no, I think it was it's, – it's quite wet in Sydney at the moment. It's, it's chucking it down with rain. So, um, it's a bit clearer here and a bit of – bit better training conditions and then obviously um, just to create a bit more of a team environment, get everyone away from their, their homes back in Sydney. So it's good to get the group together before they head off for the Com Games. Yeah, a little bit of like going on tour, right? So when you go on tour, you can't do anything except be with each other and therefore you, exactly. uh, you, you stay connected. Well, I want to I, I talk about sevens and I want to talk about sevens and fifteens because there probably isn't actually anyone in the world who's done the transition as much as you have. <laughs> and I think it's going to be important for the for the U.S. as we look towards 2031. But before we get there, um, just want to talk a little bit about about the season. Obviously, very disappointing in in how it ended. Um, but there was actually quite a, a you know an interesting journey for the Giltinis, starting off not so well and then and then picking up. So when you look back on the season, what are some of the things that you're going to remember about it? Um, yeah, well, I suppose as you touched on, it's sort of hard to, to shy away from how it all ended. But um, at the same time, it is important to reflect on the journey from from the very beginning. Obviously, um, you know, very different to, to last year's season. Uh, that's that was probably the main sort of reflection. And you know, from day one when we came in for preseason, um, Hoyle's coach said, if you think it's going to be anything like last year, then think again, because um, it's going to be a lot different journey and um, it's not going to be, I wouldn't say as easy, but it just won't play out as it did last year. So last year was a bit of a fairy tale and obviously uh, it was quite a euphoric season, um, the way it all happened and came together being our first year. But um, as Hoylesey sort of predicted, this year was um, full of ups and downs and uh, very different to last year, a bit of an emotional roller coaster. And as you touched on, obviously, we didn't start the season the same way. And, um, you know, it's probably a reflection on how much better the, the competition has got, to be honest. Uh, you look at this year, there's no easy wins. Um, every game was a battle of its own. And, um, you know, results were getting sort of flipped every single week and everyone was beating everyone except for the Free Jacks there for a minute. So, um 
yeah, it was it was an enjoyable year for sure, and um, and I think the challenges made it more enjoyable. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, it ended the way it did, but um, many fond memories, and it was it was nice to sort of overcome adversity as the season went on. You know, I I, I think like like you said, disappointing in how the, the the season ended. It's always hard when you can't you don't get a chance to have a say in how your season ends, right? And so it, it, it like it's very hard to get closure there, right? And so I think. I think that was tough, but I think that the, the growth that the team had was, you know, really, I think, remarkable because you didn't, like, in, in last year, you started as the best team in the league and you finished as the best team in the league. This year, you didn't start as the best team in the league. Like, you struggled, but you could say that we were playing mm-hmm. some of the best rugby of anyone in the league by the end. So that journey and that growth is actually something that is, uh, is, is pretty interesting, particularly, like, when you looked inside you and you had a different fly half every week. Right, it's hard exactly. to get like yeah. like yeah. <laughs> like any continuity. It was like no one wanted to play fly half because they would get injured. It was like it was like the cursed, the cursed, <laughs> the curse. So, yeah. yeah, no, that was well, look, that was know, that was definitely a big. Sorry, go for it, go for it. No, 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 no. Talk, talk about the fly half, the the fly half, and and and, and that challenge that you had. Um, yeah, I mean, it obviously had a pretty big impact on the way my season personally sort of played out. Obviously, having Matt Guido inside you and Adam Ashley Cooper outside of you um, changes things tremendously and you sort of just take a back seat and um, follow what they're doing. But this year, obviously, with Gitz um, not getting fit to play and then obviously Luke Cardi had a pec injury at the very start. So it's two international fly halves that you lose before you even start the season and then um, yeah, we're, we're probably lucky enough we had um, someone as classy as RNEI to sort of jump in and um, at 42 years old as our coach to sort of lead us around for a while and Harrison Goddard and Luke Burton. So it's not as though we didn't have people that could fill in there. It was just more of a case of that's that's sort of not how we had planned um, to sort of right. run things in our team. So, yeah, I, I sort of found a lot more responsibility on my shoulders. I was lucky I had... You know, Benny Lesage outside me, who's obviously um, a fairly experienced player. And, um, you know, Will Chambers was there as well, who probably didn't play as much as he'd like to have, but um, had a huge impact on the group as a, as a senior player. So, yeah, that was that was definitely one of the main challenges this year, having a, a sort of a leader to, to mark us around the pitch. So, um, but yeah, as I said, it's sort of, that was just another challenge for us and it put a little bit more responsibility on my shoulders, which... Um, was a lot at first, but uh, I definitely enjoyed that challenge. Well, you know, you're you're with the um, Australian Sevens team and you've been on MLR kickoff. Like, if anyone wants to hear the background, go back and listen to one of, like, the three or four times you've already been on the show. So I'd actually really love to talk to someone who's done this enough, this concept of Sevens and Fifteens and the ability to switch. Because with the 2031 for the Men World Cup and the 2033 for the Women World Cup coming up, the U.S. finds itself often um, uh, stretched in terms of talent between sevens and fifteens, right? And so a, a good player, whether on the men or the women's side, really right now needs to make that choice about where they go, and it's very difficult to come back. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. So maybe first, like, talk about how sevens was part of your development as a younger player. You know, I think sort of sevens at its core is is all about basic skills um, done well under pressure. Uh, obviously, you have to have a phenomenal sort of fitness base uh, to allow yourself to sort of um, perform under pressure. And then, um, yeah, it's just a really, really intense and a hard environment. It's 
obviously a lot different to 15s. There's, there's a lot of similarities, but um, yeah, you definitely find sort of coming in and out of each program, um, you, you have to sort of recondition yourself and it takes, takes a little bit of time to sort of do that. Um, but obviously I was played a lot of sevens uh, in, my, in my younger years as a professional and that, that definitely shaped my sort of base of core skills um, across both codes. And, um, yeah, I, I find that players that have dipped their toe into sort of both 15s and sevens um, sort of do have that edge on others that haven't because you can sort of – it sort of uh, applies itself in different areas in 15s for sure because um, there's a lot of crossover um, whilst they are quite different. It's almost like you you maybe become a little bit more rounded, right? Because your the similar sure. skills need to be applied in a different context, and so therefore you can be a little bit more rounded. You know, one of the interesting things as someone who coached sevens and fifteens, you know, that that there's a lot of talk about size, right? And and that like the sevens player needs to be lighter because of all the running that they're doing. The fifteens player needs to be heavier because of all the contact that they have to make. Is that something that that you have had to manage when you've made these transitions? Yeah, I think I think earlier on it definitely was. I uh, I remember finding myself being involved in a seven program for you know a few months, and I'd drop five or six kilos, and I'd feel fantastic running around at sevens. But on the flip side, coming back to fifteens, I definitely found myself sort of lacking in contact um, around the contact area, breakdown, every sort of collision felt a little bit more intense and um, hurt a little bit more. So initially, I found that sort of crossover. Um, quite difficult, but I kind of find now I actually play the game at 15s a fair bit lighter than I used to. Um, maybe that's due to the nature of the way that the game's going, that if you're a 12, you sort of act as a second ball player as opposed to a crash ball. Um, back in the day, you look at the likes of these big frames, front football. Um, and, yeah, I suppose now depending on what team you're playing on, you sort of have two ball players there, so you can afford to be a, bit, a little bit lighter. Um, and then the other side of it is obviously as you get a bit older, you get a bit more awareness around the game and your knowledge and sort of where to apply yourself and where you feel like you can dominate the game. So it's a, it's a little bit of both, but um, the transition now is definitely a, a bit easier than it, than it used to be. Now, now, one of the things that's kind of interesting is that the the, the – tackle and the breakdown is refereed a little bit differently on sevens and fifteens, right? And, and, and your instincts as a player, and, and you're someone who is one of the, the best at breakdowns in major league rugby, right? Like, you know, I mean, you played a game at Blanker, right? You were so good at the breakdown. Is that, is that something you have to unlearn when you go over to sevens? Cause you find yourself like maybe being a little bit too aggressive. Um, you definitely have to learn some restraint. Obviously, um, the sevens the sevens breakdown is a lot different to fifteen. You rarely find more than sort of one player opposing you at the breakdown. So um, it's extremely technical in sevens. It's probably more about speed than it is accuracy, um, and the ball's sort of gone before you know it. So that the opportunity for turning the ball over in sevens is a lot more rare than it is in fifteens, and um, I've definitely found that the crossover between the two definitely complement each other because the the speed and the accuracy in sevens crosses over to fifteens because you find yourself in there a lot quicker than other people um, and then with a little bit more time to make a decision. So 
Um, and on the flip side, obviously, the breakdown in 15s is extremely physical, um, lots of bodies, a lot of moving parts and a lot of confrontation. So if you sort of get used to that and that's sort of what you're expecting, then the sevens breakdown can sometimes feel a little bit lighter on the body um, and a bit of a different picture. So the crossover definitely helps between the two. But that is a big part of my game that I've developed sort of over the five last five or six years. And it's also a confidence thing, the breakdown thing. Once you sort of get confident approaching a breakdown and feel like um, that's an area that you can sort of excel, then you almost look forward to collisions taking place and, and breakdowns sort of falling in front of you. Um, now, when, when you, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit to, you know, here we are, it's 2031, right? We're, we're nine years away from a World Cup. There, there are like young kids, maybe not that young, like 15, 16 year old rugby players right now in the US and in Canada who might be saying, hey, I want to play in the World Cup. What, what would your advice to be, be to them if there's someone that is also a good sevens player? Uh, yeah, it's a tough one. I think you definitely sort of have to try and pick your lane a little bit um, and figure out where you're best suited right now. Uh, for me, I always had more of a passion for 15s. That was always where I sort of um, found myself gravitating to. Um, but yeah, I, I think regardless of which program you're in, for me personally, I, I find it easier to, to put myself uh, in a 15s program and try and cross back over to sevens because that's sort of the right sort of way. I, I find the training exceptionally hard in sevens and to do that every single day and every single week um, as you get a bit older is, is definitely tough on the body. So, um, yeah, I, I would say try and figure out what you're most passionate about um, and just try and sort of lock down as many crossover skills as you can um, to make sure, yeah, that you, you can do both, I suppose. Now, um you're um, a centre. What position do you play in sevens? Uh, so I play as sort of mostly in the front row. So I find myself in, at prop. Um, and then if I'm not there, I'll be in the centre, which is quite a daunting place to be on a sevens field. Because <laughs> there are some very, very fast people around you, right? <laughs> like, exactly. You're, you're, pretty, you're pretty exposed. Now, as, as a prop, are you responsible for um, kickoff takes or are you lifting or what's... Uh, a little bit of both. So, yeah, um, I never thought initially when I came into Sevens program I would be um, an, an option to sort of attack line-out, uh, sorry, attack kickoff receipts, but it was something that came quite naturally. So that, that was um, sort of a part of my role. And then lifting the little fellas up and trying to get them in, in the air as much as possible, um, that's sort of become a role as well. I, I mean, it might be sort of a one of those few unique skills in sevens right for the guys that do both is is the is the kickoff catch because in 15s it's almost always like the locks or the back row and those guys tend not to be in that crossover so that might be one of the very few skills that in sevens that don't translate to 15s and it's also like like one of the more unique skills that if you're good at it especially now with how important the kickoffs are you're going to find yeah. ways to be on a sevens pitch, right? Because it's such an, it's, you know, what probably the most important set piece in sevens, even more important than scrums and lineouts is that. Is yeah, that definitely. So yeah, yeah, definitely something that, that, that you can do. So, you know, you're in camp, you've just come in. Um, what quickly, what are two things that you missed about LA? Uh, I missed the weather. I'll tell you that straight off the bat. 
Um, you mean sunny and, every day, so you don't have to look at the uh, you don't look at the forecast, right? Because it's the same every day. No, exactly. I, honestly, I, I, it still baffles me. This day. I've been there eighteen months, and every single day it's the same. You might get a little bit of cloud coverage, but it's twenty-five and sunny every day. And um, yeah, Australia has been pretty rough lately. It's been very wet, very cold. Um, whilst it is good to be home, I definitely miss that weather for sure. What else do you miss? One more thing. Uh, I mean, I'd probably get in trouble if I didn't say I miss my fiance Michelle and my dog Leia. So <laughs> I'm, I'm missing those two a lot. Um, but hopefully, I'll, I'll get back with them in a couple of weeks. So that's all good. Yeah, and and your goal is to make the Australian sevens team um, and play in the LA sevens. It's like a homecoming. So yeah, you, it you is. Can, you can you can show your teammates your city, right? Like, hey, let me let me show your city. I know there's been a lot of talk about that already. The boys are getting very excited. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really, really cool. It's, a, it's an opportunity to obviously put my hand up for selection and if I am selected then to play in LA, which is essentially home, as you said, um, and represent Australia, but also the, the Giltini's family as well would be something that I never, never really thought would happen. But, um, yeah, that's a really cool one. And if it gets to that point, um, I'm sure it'll be an amazing weekend. Well, well, Billy, thank you so much. You're always a great guest on the show. Very thoughtful. Love your insight. Um, good luck with all the running that you're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> I'm going to need more than luck. <laughs> yeah, like the volumes are crazy. But congratulations on being back of the year and um, good luck in your, in your sevens journey for the rest of the year. Thanks. Appreciate it, mate. Always great to hear from Billy and, and that conversation about sevens and fifteens for the US is really pertinent with the men and women's world cup coming up in 2031 and 2033 and how sevens and fifteens integrates, I think is going to be important for both the men and, and the, uh, and the women. Well, um, I had this great opportunity to nerd out a little bit as a coach because I get to, I got to sit down with coach of the year, Scott Matthew from um, the New England Free Jacks and talk to him about his season. For next year. <clears throat> oh yeah, it's not, it, it never ends, right? Everyone calls it an off season. It's not really an off season. No, it's, it's just a, a different season. So when the work starts, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's great to welcome the coach of the year, Scott Matthew, from the Free Jacks to MLR kick kickoff. Scott, thanks for making time for us tonight. Oh, such a pleasure, eh? Always, always good to be on here. Um, thanks again for having me, man. Now, you know, a record-breaking season for the Free Jacks. Didn't end the way that you wanted to, but, like, you know, the longest winning streak in MLR history, like, records all over the place. Talk a little bit about, like, in preseason, how you thought the season would go and, and where you started seeing sort of, like, the, the seeds of the success that you had. I think the preseason, what was really interesting, we've spoken about it a lot. It was, it was probably the first time where both Mark and I, and we went into the season going, we actually do not know what to expect. I mean, none of us had a taste of, of, of MLR. We... We were first time we got to meet our players, most of the guys, and we a couple of guys we worked with here and there. So we really didn't know uh, how that season was going to go, you know. And 
I think a couple of early games that just went our way and we, we were a bit fortunate and we found our way. And I think that grew a little bit of belief in, in the team just in, in terms of how we wanted to play the game and how we went about our things. Um, and once that belief grows and you start picking up some, some Ws, it's, it's, it's very difficult to stop. Eh? And it becomes, everyone always says it becomes infectious, but I think we worked really hard on the environment and we worked hard on building that, that culture of, of, of really being, being together. And, you know, those, those wins just started happening. And I reckon, I think Austin away was probably the big one for us. I think we went, we, we picked a, a slightly, um, what people would call not our, not our first string, if, if you will. And we're able to pull off a result. And I remember being in that change room afterwards and seeing Josh Larson just so um, thrilled with the victory. You know, I know he's, he was he used to play for these guys, but just the, how, how pumped he was and how pumped the change room was. I thought, Chish, you know what? We've, we've hit a bit of a, something special here. And, you know, who knows where this can go, you know? So, you know, that's, that's obviously, it's, it's great as a coach when you have those moments and you're like, oh, this is something really special. What were some of the players that did, that stood up for you, maybe providing a little bit more than you thought they were going to coming in? Some of the players that stepped up and be above and beyond what you kind of had in your plan? Um, look, it was quite interesting. I mean, before the season started, I, mean, I remember having a, a conversation with uh, Bodine and, um, you know, I'd watched the games from last year and, and then I'd watched the last couple of games we had played at 10. And the conversation was really, listen, Wax, you're going to play 10, mate. I'm, I'm not going to change you. I'm not going to put you at 15. You're going to play 10. You need to get your head around that. How do you feel about that? And he was like, no, great, sweet. I haven't played in a while, but I'm, I'm excited. And I think the, the big thing was just my, my biggest surprise was – seeing how good uh, Bodine's kicking game was. I didn't think it was that, that, that special. And, you know, when you're kicking more than 80% as a goal kicker and you being so accurate in, in, in that managing of the game, which I didn't think people previously uh, saw from a sevens guy, and that was the biggest thing for me. And I know we always say Bodine Wacky's the player of the year, but it was that change in his game I think that, that provided a bit of a catalyst for us, that we, we had someone who could game break, but also had the ability to, to manage a game and to kick really well, which was, was fundamental uh, for us. Um, I also thought uh, just that the Slade McDowell, um, again, a real special player, but his leadership capacity was, was something um, that I, I didn't – no, was that special? We had Josh Lawson, who fantastic leader, but Slade's leadership too, and, and bringing that resolve and that a bit of grit to the team was was something that uh, I didn't expect. That so that was that was pretty awesome as well. You know, it was interesting because we we spoke to Bowden and he referenced that conversation with you as sort of like a catalyst for his season. So it's interesting that both of you say that was the moment. And what's interesting is is how the Free Jacks used their 10, right? So, so it was sort of, you know, I think, I think um, Bowden had like some of the fewest passes per game. It was almost like you only gave him the ball when he could really make an impact, whether it was with his foot or running. And, and other than that, it was John Poland really looked feeding the forwards. Can you talk a little bit about like how you created like a structure for Bowden that allowed him to be so successful? Yeah, I think the, the the biggest thing for me was, you know, to get people around 
Bowden, especially when we play off 10, just so he can be an attacking threat. You know, when you've got a forward on the inside, two on the outside, and you can play around with where you where you bring the wing into that into that role, um, it just gives him, you know, just creates a little bit more space for him if he wants to wants to hit the gap or, you know what I mean? So he's got the passing options, but he's also got that ability where uh, you've got numbers around him. So it's, it's very difficult for a defence to, you know, pick up all those players. And if you're slightly off on the fold or you're slightly... Um, you know, you know, just step off him a little bit, or, or want to mark one of the carriers. You know, that opens up a bit of space, and then he needs a little bit of space to yeah. to, to really make a difference. Um, but uh, the big thing I think this year was was just about being really effective. You know, I think in in, in the first year at any uh, franchise, you know, that you want to start with what, what's going to be the most effective. I think I think too often teams will try and. Uh, play this total rugby or this or you know real fancy type of, of of game plan, but you need to start. You know what I mean? You could you can't hit above where you actually at, and so it was important for us to be effective. And being effective was we had a really big asset in John Poland's kicking game, and that relieved a lot of pressure from Wox, uh, and it allowed Wox to kick on his terms too. So we just had a real good balance there, you know, um, and. From the base of the kicking game, being pretty conservative at our own half, we were able to just stay in games. And a lot of those games we won, I mean, we had a lot of luck, eh? But a lot of those games we won on that streak within seven points. They weren't blowouts, none yeah. of them. Um, and then I think that just came down to game management and those two just really working well and uh, um, just being a little bit more effective rather than... Uh, what you would have is, is, is a, bit, a bit more open, if you will. So, you know, coming into the season as a coach, you, you have a plan, you have a, an idea about how you want to play. Um, were there any moments this season where you had to kind of like, oh, this isn't working. We're going to now go do something else. And, and maybe you can share a little bit about when you had to do that. Um, yeah, I think uh, early on and just in preseason, you know, we were, we were toying around with the idea of, um, you know, how to play the kicking game. Um, I've always been a big fan of, of, of the contestables, but uh, you need the, the, the correct or you need the, the personnel to be able to affect that. Um, and I think so early on, uh, we were toying around with keeping it long because we had seen a bit in the MPC that you could kick down the middle of the field and, and split the two, the two covers, and that would create a bit of confusion. That would kick back on you and we could counterattack from there. Um, and I think it was, it was probably, and, and we didn't get to experience this in Boston because um, our kicking game, we couldn't really practice it that much because of the dome. We trade, we train inside a dome. So you, you literally, any kick you kick or any contestable you kick, it hits the roof. So it, it took us, it, it took us the preseason, probably the first. The, these, are, these, are the con these are the American constraints, Scott, <laughs> that every rugby coach in America has. Yeah. Like there's always something with where you're training that isn't ideal. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy to hear that it still happens in Major League Rugby. So, so this was the thing. So we couldn't see how well our kicking game, our contestable kicking game would work because we couldn't develop chase lines to chase these kicks. And, and it's very hard to mimic inside those, the, 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 those domes too. So we started early on with probably uh, the long game because it's what we could train. But ultimately, w when we could get onto to the field, it was just a case of, okay, let's trust that JP's striking this nice. It's going where we want it to go. And I think probably two weeks in, we just really just went uh, completely to a contestable game, looking at more kicks from, from JP and then 
uh, crossfield kicks with uh, with Bodine. But it, it took us a, a while because we just couldn't get the feel for that early on. And I think, but we definitely made a decision there. So Scott, obviously, you came in to Major League Rugby as you said, not um, knowing too much about it. What were a couple of the surprises that you had about the league um, in you know in your first season? I think I, I was pretty surprised about the physicality. You know, I think most most, most players will probably say the same. I think we were, we played that first warm up game uh, against DC. And they really bullied us. Eh? I mean, we had Junior Sauer running at us, and there was a couple of just real big collisions. And I thought, Chish, well, you know what? There's one thing, and then it was just confirmed week in, week out, that there's one thing that this league does not lack is physicality. There's times where you probably can, uh, you'll find the skill sets in, in, in a Mata 10 or a Curry Cup, you know, better, better but uh, physicality, not so. So that was, that was definitely a, a surprise uh, for me. I think what was also um, a, a, a big difference and a, and a surprise is just how, how, how challenging travel is. I mean, we, we're not talking about yeah. a two-hour flight. We're talking about a six-hour right. flight. We, you know, um, right. just, just even the stay, the hotels are great and just staying it there. But sometimes you have to order food in to the hotels and, and the hotel doesn't cater for you. And just little things that you, you, that you wouldn't expect, you know. Um, so that, that was pretty interesting. And then the other thing is just the complete um, difference from ground to ground. I mean, going to Hoboken and playing there is really tight and, you know, the lines in the field and then you move off and you're playing in the Coliseum and it's, it's such an amazing, <laughs> unreal venue. And then you, you know, right. you know just, everything's just different. Whether the weather, you're either playing in a blizzard and then you're playing in complete humidity. So... There's a whole lot of those little surprises that I, I, I didn't expect to be so vast and so different, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think people, I think everyone knows that America is big, but people don't really realize how big it is until until they come here. And um, the difference in grounds is is part of the startup of, of the league. And it's interesting you talk about the physicality because I think traditionally when you look at the U.S. player, like, I think that's one of the things they've always been able to bring yep. is they've always been able to bring the physicality. And so when you add the physical domestic players, it means everyone ends up being physical. There's no one that isn't going to hit you very hard. And maybe you can talk a little bit about your experience of coaching um, American and Canadian players that have maybe different backgrounds than the players that you've coached previously and, and how that might be different. Yeah, sure. I mean, we're a great bunch of guys this year, and I think that that spoke a lot to to just how they learned. And I, I really felt uh, that, um, you know, both the foreign guys, but the American guys and the Canadian boys in our, in our setup, there, there's a real hunger uh, to learn, where I think some of the foreign guys might have heard a few things before. I mean, they're, they're very adept and they want to know more, but these guys are hearing a lot, a lot of things for the first time. And just their, their willingness to, to just do and yes can i have some more what else can i do and how else can i get that right and am i getting it right you know just 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 constantly trying to, to push those those um those barriers there i mean because it's again the first time they're doing it and i just think the the uptake on on from from getting the information to learning the information to you know actually putting into practice is really quick uh, so i've been really impressed on on that you know that, that that desire and hunger to learn 
um, desire and hunger to work really hard. Um, I think sometimes you get uh, with guys who have been in the system for six, seven years, pre-season, into season, out of season, back into pre-season, there, there can be some sort of uh, mundaneness that comes with that. And sometimes guys start to find little corners and find little ways out, whereas the guys, the American boys and these guys who haven't had a full taste of professional rugby, I mean, they just cannot gym again, you know. Can, can, can I stay on the field longer? Why we, you know what I mean? So it's such a refreshing thing, and, and that feeds into the guys. It gives other guys a bit of new lease of life and just to see how hard these guys are working for, for, for this professional gig um, I think is really – is really special, and a lot of these guys also understand uh, what it is to work. I mean, we've got Cam Davidovitz, who's who's, a far, who's farming all day long, and now he gets to come and gym and run around the field for a living. It, there's there's a real difference there, and and guy, these guys are working nine to five, and all of a sudden they get to just play rugby. Um, you see a lot more energy and a lot more desire to be a professional. So I, I think that's pretty special. Now, you know, we, we were talking before we started recording, Scott, that there's, for, for the coaches and the staff of team MLR teams, there is no off-season. It's just a different season. So talk a little bit about what you think, um, you know, your plans are going to be for 2023, how you might approach it a little bit differently, and maybe some of the things you learned in your first year in the league. Yeah, so I think that the biggest thing when, when you all come together and, I think we've been really fortunate, uh, this management group. You know, the, the first thing is that the management group need to feed off, connect, and be on the same page. And that's not an easy thing to get right uh, from the, from the, from the get-go. And I feel that was something that we, we really did well. I think between uh, Tom Kindly, who did an absolutely amazing job to relieve a lot of pressure and a lot of... Uh, administrative stuff from from my side and Mark Rogers who um, who's done a, done an incredible job and, and and just working with him and again what he does to make my life easier and I think just the way us three as a collective collective head of of, of, of that organisation is it, it was just really good to see the synergy and 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 the the connectedness between us and and the, the, the this alignment on philosophy especially between Mark and I when it comes to to the actual rugby side of things. That was massive, and I, and you don't often get that. Even you can have interviews and things, and but there's under, getting on the same page and really being in it together from the start was was something that I don't think all teams would have would have had, and and I'm really grateful for that. Um, so working on that, I think the rest of the the management did a great job, and was it was pretty awesome. But there's so many little things that we can make more professional. That we can that we can improve, that we can add another layer of pro, uh, professionalism onto, whether it be in analytics, whether it be on the S and C side, from the the the, the ATs and the physio side, they all did a great job. But there's just we can just go up a level and more level, just being from our first year together, you know. So I'm really excited about that. That's what we're in the process of doing now, just reviewing all our departments and how we can grow each department and what budget we have to grow each department you know um so those are the conversations going on now and then obviously you've got your recruitment side of things where um, um we've been pretty active uh, last year and 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 really trying to find um the best value for money and the best um 
investment in players and character and, and really doing our homework there because I think a lot of people uh, maybe rush that and it's important that for important for us really that yes we want the right player but she man we'll be building build, building this place on on environment of of care and guys that really belong and that means that a player has to fit you know the free jack the free jack way to come here you know otherwise we're not going to get the same output and right. we might not win those 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 close games by a couple of points you know um so that's all the push that's happening at the moment and then obviously we're just uh, refining game plan and game model and, and and trying to take our model from being effective in year one to being a bit more progressive in year two and and seeing where that takes us you know obviously we've had a few guys depart and uh, we're going to make um, real inroads into the recruitment uh, strategy and that on that side of things but we want we really want to get to a bit of a progressive brand game model as we come into next year <clears throat> Well, Scott, thank you um, so much for spending time. Congratulations on an amazing season that I think Free Jack fans will um, remember for a long time. So many great memories and good luck in what sounds like a very, very busy um, off season. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. And uh, again, like really honoured for this award. And I, I, I really just feel it's a reflection of this management team that is really got around got around got around me and got around each other and i think it's just awesome uh, that we can pretty much it's a shared award for me it's it's, it's awesome thanks man always great to talk to another coach um could have probably done that for a little while uh great always great to listen to someone who understands the game so well and is so articulate and give you a little bit of insight into um how they worked i i, I always it's always interesting when you get foreign coaches coming over here because they have those like restraints like we can't work on our kicking game because the roof is too low. Not sure that Scott's ever come across that in, 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 his, uh, um, in his coaching career before. Um, and finally, um, but certainly not least, one of the most exciting talents in Major League Rugby and a rising star for USA Rugby, um, I got a chance to catch up with Rookie of the Year um, Tavite Lepetti. Well, welcome to MLR Kickoff, the 2022 Major League Rugby Rookie of the Year. Um, Tavite Lepetti, thank you so much, Tavite, for joining us today. Yeah, hey, right on. Thank you for having me. Now, now, people don't know this, but we actually just told you that you were Rookie of the Year, and um, you you didn't know. And there's a reason why you didn't know because where are you currently? Uh, man, I'm in camp right now. We're getting ready for Chile round two. Chile round two. So um, you were playing um, maybe the most difficult position to play in a flood, which is outside center. At least the wings get to catch the ball. Um, how many times did you touch <laughs> the ball in the game against Chile? Man, I, thought, I, I think only twice. And I didn't even take it into contact. I had to give it to Ruben for the exit. And so you touched the ball twice, and um, I, I don't know if you got to see your GPS, but how many sprints did you do for all the kicking? I didn't even look at it. It wasn't even worth looking at, man. I, I was sending chase lines the whole night. Now, um, have you ever played in a game with that sort of conditions before? Uh, once, yeah, in St. Mary's, down in the front field, it was, like, real muddy. Um, but, yeah, like, I, to I told all my boys, I like that playing that game – Back at Chile, round one was like playing at Pat Vincent at St. Mary's when we played Santa Clara in 2019. And it was just storming, raining.
over there in Chile, it was way colder though. Like I was freezing. My coach, you guys, my coaches. Yeah, it's uh, um, it was it was interesting because when we were watching the game, we actually saw the tiny um, uh, locker room that you guys had and the heaters, the two heaters you had in the locker room, and that like twenty minutes when the lights went out, like by accident, right in Chile when you were about to like the US was about to score, the lights go out, and you guys all huddled around these little like gas heaters. It was nuts. It was it was it was like beyond mental at that point. Like it was so cold. Like the those heaters heaters wasn't even supposed to be in our locker room. They were just right next to our outside the sheds, and we grabbed them and put them in because dudes were so cold. So oh, you like, like you guys put those heaters in the room yourself? Yeah, yeah. They was like right outside the sheds. Um, I don't know if they were, they were for the workers or something, but we just grabbed them and put them inside the locker room. That's how cold it was over there. Now, you know, a, a win's a win, but obviously it's a two-game series. Talk a little bit about um, what the feeling was of the team at the end. Just relief that it was over? Uh, relief that we get to go back home into the warm hotel. Um, but other than that, I mean, like, we celebrate little victories over here. So, you know, we got a lot to build on. Um, so we took the win. And it was a special night, too, because we had a new cap that night, too. So, I mean, it's always good welcoming a new brother to the team. So... It was still a good night. We made it a special night. Yeah, another um, another MLR star, Jason Dunn from Rugby ATL, getting his getting his first cap. Well, let's let's talk about your season. Obviously, a special season, first season in Major League Rugby. We we talked to you before a little bit about your background and 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 um, playing as a um, you know a high school kid in California and then going to St. Mary's. Um, but let's talk about the season. You know, you, you had some injuries that kind of interrupted some stuff, but where do you think you grew the most as a player throughout the season? I would say, uh, I mean, to answer your question, I probably just throughout the year, honestly, like I tried to, I, tried, I came into the league this year with one mindset of just, you know, just trying to learn from everybody. And I got a lot of notable figures on my team, like, you know, Dan Creel, Ross Neal, um, AJ Alatimu, JP Smith, all those dudes. And I knew that those guys had a lot of, you know, a huge resume behind them and, you know, all the work that they've been through. So just every day in training, just trying to pick those guys' brain apart. And, um, yeah, man, like I just say throughout the year, you know, just asking questions when when I wasn't sure, what, you know, how to run things or, you know, how things should have went. But I always ask questions, and those guys held me out all throughout the year. So, and then, I mean, being injured, that only just gave me a different perspective. As I got to watch um, my other teammate, you know, Dave Busby, and, you know, he killed him when he came onto the field. So I was really happy for him. But just getting an outside perspective of, you know, seeing the game, which is really good. So Now, you know, Seattle is known for its good defense, and, and you're a very strong physical defender. But you've also got um, great footwork, right? You're very, you're very elusive as a runner, and, and you've got a good pass on you. Like, which of that part of your game gives you the most satisfaction, right? Is it is it those dominant tackles? Is it making a guy miss? Is it putting someone into a hole? Like, which which is sort of, like, the thing that, that puts the biggest smile on your face? Uh, honestly, just making the right pass. I mean, executing the right pass, making the right read. I mean, you know, it feels good to score a try, but when you set up the pass or the play, you know, for your winger to score, and, you know, that's, like, three passes before and he scores all the way outside, you know, that's always a good feeling. So, um, you know, he gets all the celebration, but, you know, you, you took part in that. So I take part in that as a center. 
you know, there are high school and college coaches that work with you that like their hearts are singing because they're like, that's exactly the answer that every coach wants to have. Right. It's like, it's like the ability to help others in the game is what makes the game a little, a little different. So um, great job on that. Now, when you look back on the season, what were some of the special moments that you'll remember from your rookie season? Just the camaraderie. I mean, like my teammates were, you know, I, I, I met everybody just this year. I didn't know anybody before coming in. And, you know, I kind of, I mean, it was kind of weird because I had to leave right from New York straight after the championship game, straight into camp. So I didn't get, get to go back to Seattle and, you know, do a little formal goodbye. But, you know, all my teammates were real good dudes. You know, even outside of the training field, we had a few barbecues. Uh, some of my South, my South African teammates put me on some biltong I never had before. Uh, so, yeah, that was cool. I mean, yeah, just the camaraderie, you know, outside of rugby, you know, it was all love. So that, that was my favorite part, really. Now, now, now Seattle had um, a surprising run in the playoffs, right? Like, close, didn't think you were going to get in. Then you got in. Like, can you talk a little bit? Like, were bags packed? Were, were people leaving? And then you got the call that you were in. Talk a little bit about sort of like that, that process of getting into the playoffs. Uh, yeah, we we had lost or we had barely beat um, Houston at home in Seattle. Right. So they made that final kick and they're celebrating. So it was kind of a bummer for us. Um, but some guy, I mean, our coach just, you know, told us, you know, just let's just take things day by day from here. You know, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, guys weren't really aware of what was going on at the time. Um, but when that, all the news came out, you know, our coach kind of just told us, you know, just let's just take everything day by day. Anything could happen at this point. Um, you know, given everything that was happening. So, you know, guys really weren't making plans yet. Like some people were got families, they're trying to fly back home, but they couldn't really finalize that because we just had a lot of moving pieces going on. So, you know, dudes had to really just take it day by day, which was I mean, we do that any we do that every day anyway. So just kind of being prepared for, you know, the unexpected. And then and then Seattle like played maybe some of the best rugby it's it you know, the teams played all year to get all the way to the final and to play in, in Red Bull. Um, Like when when you get those second bites of the cherry, it sometimes like tastes sweeter, right? Because you're just there to really enjoy it. Um, Talk a little bit about the, uh, the playoff experience for you, um, your first playoffs in um, MLR and then the experience of playing at Red Bull. For me, I mean, coming back from my injury, you know, it's kind of a bummer, but I didn't really want to look at it like, you know, try to make an excuse. I mean, I was just grateful to be able to just be back on my feet, um, whether that was starting or not. And when my coaches broke it to me saying, like, you know, you're going to come off the bench, I wasn't really, you know, disappointed. It was more so, you know, how can I help my team? Um, and, you know, how can I support Buzz, um, who started for us, who started for us after I got injured? Um, you know, how can I support him? How can I help him get better and prepare him as much as possible for the playoff? And, um yeah, man, I don't regret none of that. I mean, I don't regret none of that. Like, anything that happened, my injury, the outcome, you know, that's something that I took as a lesson, learned a lot, and, you know, I'm pushing it. Yeah, and maybe even makes you a little bit fresher for the U.S. Having not played, like, 80 minutes leading in, you feel like, do you feel good? I mean, recognizing you're still cold from the Chile game because it was cold and wet <laughs> down there. Um, but like yeah. physically coming back off that injury, you know, do you feel, do you feel good for this upcoming game? Oh yeah, we feel good. I mean, but I mean, anybody that plays the game, like you're not always going to be a hundred percent, 
You know, the best day, I mean, my coach told me back at St. Mary's, the best day you'll ever feel is the day before you sign up playing this game. So, um, you know, we got a few niggas here and there, but, you know, we good, though. Well, um, um, I'm going to be there in person. I think Ryan, our producer, will um, uh, be there in person cheering you on. It's a sold-out stadium um, at Infinity Park. Crazy. Uh, it's a great – yeah, it's going to be a great facility. It is going to be loud, and we're all going to be pulling for you guys to – I mean – if it, from my view, like as a coach, you pretty much dominated every aspect of the game, but the water and, and, and the weather was a great equalizer. I'm confident you guys are going to be able to put Chile to the sword. And I'm also pretty confident you're going to touch the ball more than twice. <laughs> Hopefully, man. The, but the dudes is ready, though, man. It's been good. We had a good start to training today. Uh, tomorrow, we're about to get after it again. So, um, yeah, man, the energy is there, the intent, the, you know, Everybody's prepared, so, you know, we just got to stick the nail to the coffin on Saturday. Well, look, thank you so much for taking time out of your prep. Um, we're pulling for you and the U.S. Eagles, and congratulations on being selected as Rookie of the Year for Major League Rugby. Appreciate it, man, man. Thank y'all for having me. Man, what a what a great guy um, the Vida is. I mean, he... He, he must be a coach's dream, puts everyone else first. Very, very humble, but what a talent. What a talent. And um, looking forward to watch him, him play and have an impact this weekend at um, Infinity Park in Glendale. I will be there in person. I will get a chance to um, watch him and Gary Gold's team um, hopefully build Chile, um, beat Chile this weekend. So that was the solo edition of um, MLR Kickoff. Uh, Dan will be back at some point whenever he's not probably in Mexico by the beach or, you know, out having fun, uh, um, you know, having a fancy dinner or whatever he's doing. He will be back. Um, and when we come back, we'll definitely do a deep dive into the um, MLR All League team. And that'll be next. So thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you next time. Um, from Pete Steinberg, uh, Aaron Castro and Ryan Ginty. Thank you so much. And this was MLR Kickoff.